Hello, and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm Claudine Fry. And I'm Charles Hecker. And this is the podcast where we try to explain what's going on in the world and what it means for business. As with many others, we've been incredibly busy over the past couple of months trying to understand the outlook for the situation in Ukraine and the consequences of what's going on there. We're all adjusting to a situation that is going to clearly be with us for a long time. You know, that's right, Claudine. I think almost every crisis has an acute phase and then a longer tail. I think we've put the acute part of this crisis mostly behind us. This is the moment when companies are beginning to adjust their outlooks the most. And during this acute phase, we've seen companies in the spotlight in a way which has been really striking. They've had to take a stand on a geopolitical risk issue. They've had to take a stand in a, in a very black and white way in some cases. And they've had to do that despite the fact that they are having to assess a situation which is extremely complex. You know, Claudine, it's interesting when you tell people, even people with a fairly decent sense of global geography, that Moscow is only a three and a half hour flight from London. They're routinely surprised because of how close that sounds. You know, with the conflict now, I think Russia feels, especially but not exclusively to Europeans, Russia feels very, very close indeed. For business, I think it might feel further away than ever before. Many companies have had to respond now to making a decision in which they've been made to be a political actor or an ethical actor, and that's unprecedented for a lot of companies. I think many will want to avoid being in a similar situation, but it will be useful for especially larger companies to maybe use this as a, as a template or as a kind of scenario when they work out how they are going to make these types of decisions in the future. That was Maria Knapp, partner and ESG lead. Hundreds of foreign companies have taken public, explicit, distinct positions on the Russia-Ukraine conflict since it began at the end of February. It's really quite remarkable to see and possibly unprecedented in terms of the corporate response to a geopolitical event. How would you Maria, characterize what we've seen from companies and what has driven the way that they have responded. I agree that it's unprecedented by virtue of a few things. Firstly, probably just the scale of the market means that there were more companies there and involved in some way in the Russian market than would have been in in other countries where we've seen either conflict-driven situations or regulatory pushes that have triggered companies to move, change their models or exit. The other things that I think characterize this situation for companies is fast-moving targets, so sanctions regimes changing literally daily from about the 1st of January, as well as other pressures, government pressures by local authorities within Russia. Also significant uncertainties in terms of what was going to happen down the line outside of sanctions regimes. And also, I think, an intensity of public scrutiny, which for various factors, I don't think have reached this scale elsewhere. 
recently anyway. And all of that has come together to create pressure for companies to have made decisions very quickly about whether they were going to stay or go. And those decisions, especially very early on in the conflict, as there was clearly an uplift in the kind of sanctions regime and the regulatory pressure was binary for a lot of companies. Are you going to stay or are you going to go? Well, you say that, Maria, but I get the impression that unless your hand was literally forced by the letter of the law, that the decision about whether to stay or leave Russia was an extremely difficult one. And I get this impression from our conversations with our clients, from talk in the marketplace, and from the general sort of chatter in the broadest community of stakeholders around this issue, that this was a hard call to make. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Definitely, Chuck. The conversations that I've been involved in with our clients have shown to me that the decisions were made mostly in in several phases. So there's an initial reaction. And then oftentimes what we were doing is have a slightly longer time conversation with those companies to make an evaluation that was a bit more systematic, working through different factors and criterias like business criticality, like implications from an operational perspective of any actions, political scenario planning, et cetera, detail that wasn't available to them maybe on day one when they had to respond or say in the first four or five days where that public scrutiny and also to some extent in certain countries, government pressure on say national champions to take a stance was really heightened. And in fact, what we saw in practice was roughly speaking, three categories of response. Companies that quickly decided to exit or suspend operations. Typically, they were companies that could exit with relative ease because they have limited local operations or they could unwind their contracts and situation pretty quickly. And their assessment was on balance that the reputational toxicity and the regulatory risk combination just outweighed the the value of them being there. Most of those companies will have had a pretty limited concentration risk in Russia as part of their overall business. Maria, can I interrupt you just for half a second? Please Tell do. me what concentration risk means. That's a new term. Well, for some of our clients, Russia is a major market. For most of our clients, it's a part of their overall operations. And for many, it's a very minor market. So we're talking to clients who maybe have a two or 5% income exposure or profit exposure to their to, to, to Russia. That doesn't mean that it was an unimportant decision or, or that it was treated less critically. But the balance from a kind of purely financial perspective was going to be a lot lighter. The second category of immediate response is where companies exited or suspended, and this sometimes took a little bit longer time, where the sanctions and reputational toxicity was high and outweighed the benefits of them being there. But in many instances, they did or are still having to exit in kind of a phased approach because they either have larger local operations or their contract commitments are trickier to unwind. 
particularly with third parties. So if you think of, for instance, companies that were still expecting supplies to come into country that couldn't be stopped and that have complex value chains. The third category is companies that decided either to stay or stayed uncommitted. Some of those, and the most interesting ones, I think, for this discussion are those that made public statements about their rationale for staying related to, for instance, company purpose or what positive impact they might make by remaining in country, which also I think is unprecedented. Yeah, I agree, Maria. It's really striking to see companies justifying their positions on the basis of the role that they can play for the greater good for ordinary people, if you like, people who are not responsible for decisions taken by government. And it jumps out at you when you think about companies that are providing things like staple foods, vital medicines, and other necessities where there's significant shortages in Russia. Although we've even had those statements from companies that are just providing, aren't necessarily providing critical goods for people to be able to eat and treat illnesses, but also who are selling consumer goods that we buy that we don't necessarily need. A less obvious decision, but certainly one that we heard major Western brands and non-Western brands talk about and deliberate on and in fact go back and forth on to whether they'd continue operations in Russia. And some did for a while and then ended up withdrawing. And I think ultimately other factors like operational restrictions, restrictions on money flows and restrictions on supplies ended up possibly weighing heavier in some of those decisions. And interestingly, for those brands that did stay or those that are still in country, we haven't seen significant um, consumer kind of upset over it or, or response. So we haven't seen brand boycotts at scale against companies that are still in, in country. So we talked briefly for a moment about the atmosphere inside a company that's trying to make these sorts of decisions and, and the sort of mental checklist that they run through about the go, no go decision. And you just hinted at the external environment. So I kind of want to throw two questions at you at the same time. Does it help if a company has a structure or a framework or is what happened in Russia so different and, and is sort of such a category five storm that no matter what framework you have, it's not going to make life easier for you. That's my first question. And the second question, Maria, is tell us a little bit about this external environment. How harsh, how critical, how judgmental financially, legally, and reputationally is the atmosphere around this? So your first question is a little unfair because you know I'm a lawyer by training <laughs> and now I'm a consultant by profession. So oh, of course- what a combination. Of course, a structure is useful. A structure is always useful. <laughs> but as I said, a lot of our clients, for instance, were in the immediate really looking at the most pressing, timely, business critical questions, working their way through those. And in a second, second phase, often say in a workshop scenario with different people involved and different decision makers involved in a company, really interesting conversations that involved head of legal, compliance, at least one representative from the board, procurement, people who are tackling this from very different lenses. Then yes, working through key scenarios, what is the impact? Working through factors that were pre-agreed, working through this in a much more systematic way. 
the way that each company will calibrate those will be different. And it certainly was in the conversations that I was involved in. It depends on the things that we mentioned earlier, the concentration risk, how their brand profile reflects in terms of their consumer impact, whether they've got particular con considerations with regards to employee well-being, et cetera. All of that, I think the outcome varies. It is definitely a category, I don't know, certainly four to five storm. So I guess what I'm saying is a process or systematic approach to this is helpful and necessary, but it doesn't always kind of pump out an answer that's process driven, that the, the answer is going to be more than the sum of its parts. Hence the variation in company responses and hence also the kind of back and forth of some companies taking a position and then changing it a week later. So you make this decision in a structured and orderly fashion or in a seat of the pants fashion and you throw it out into the marketplace. What happens? So the external factors are trickier when it comes to this conflict. The most important factor for most companies has been Western sanctions. That's the thing that has dictated their decisions either directly or indirectly, because it means either they can or can't do something or indirectly because their supply chains or their operations are affected, they can't do anything uh, or they can't do what they, uh, what they need to in order to conduct their business in Russia. And I think that still remains. And as we know, it takes a lot longer to unwind then to trigger sanctions, a dominant factor in their decision-making. The external scrutiny has been interesting. You talked about external factors. There have been a number of indices that we, we've looked at, our clients have looked at, that track companies' actions with regards to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. A few of them take a very binary approach, but grade companies on a kind of traffic light system where they're green for leaving and red for staying, irrespective of the nuances, for instance, of companies providing vital medicines, may get a red on that index. That's tricky for companies. There definitely have been social media campaigns around some company stances, but we haven't seen large-scale brand boycotting. So the impact of those indices, you know, they're interesting. There are many of them crowdsourced, which I think is cool, but I don't think that they're leading company decision-making as to what they're doing in country. Awareness of political, country, and economic risks underpin your organization's ability to protect value and mitigate shocks. Whether you need consulting on a particular project or longer-term strategic, analytical, and forecasting resources, we can respond to your requirements face-to-face -face or through our online platform-based solutions. For more information, follow the link in the podcast notes. Now, back to the discussion. Maria, these are obviously huge, hugely significant, high-stakes decisions that companies have been taking in reaction to what's going on in Ukraine. But part of me is wondering if actually the toughest decisions may yet be to come around how they actually potentially go back or how they adjust really over the long term to how the geopolitical situation might 
stabilise into some kind of new normal, whether that's through a peace agreement or not. To what extent are the decisions that we've seen being taken very short term? And what what do you think lies ahead in terms of how companies will adapt over the longer term and, and how they will process when and how and if to go back into Russia? So I'm going to sort of evade your question. Okay. <laughs> we don't allow that here on the podcast. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm. Claudine, are we inviting Maria do you back? Want, <laughs> do you want me to rephrase? No, no, I don't. I'm going to take this where I want to take it. I think that many companies have had to respond now to making a decision in which they've been made to be a political actor or an ethical actor. And that's unprecedented for a lot of companies. I think many will want to avoid being in a similar situation. But it will be useful for especially larger companies to maybe use this as a as a template or as a kind of scenario when they work out how they are going to make these types of decisions in the future. Maybe for some of them, it's a nightmare scenario, the level five storm scenario. But it is useful because it has factors that I think have similarities to other countries in which we advise our clients quite frequently. And they're making perhaps on a lower kind of lower storm level, these calibrations, these decisions on an ongoing basis. They're sort of more business as usual. Sort of more business as usual, but constantly thinking about what are the external factors that are going to affect our business and how does our business activity impact on the stakeholders and the externalities around us. That's bread and butter for certainly your team, Claudine. And we do that for companies all the time and they're doing it all the time. So I think taking a, an extreme scenario like this as a reminder that sometimes big decisions need to be made that will affect a company you know, really critically, you know, that will test these kind of s- systematic processes. When it comes to whether companies go back into Russia that have exited or re-engage where they've suspended operations I think they're going to work backwards through some of the same decisions. And ultimately, companies will operate where they can operate. They'll have ethical decisions to make around how they operate. And I think perhaps this highlights the question that companies are already and we're already in the process of asking themselves about their impact. And so it's less about how does all of this around us affect us as a business and the materiality of these issues for our business and more how does our business impact on the world around us and the people around us to some extent. I thought what you said was incredibly interesting and in avoiding or evading Claudine's question, you answered the one that was sort of bubbling in my head. And that is that if you're a company, all you really want to do is make your product and sell it or provide your service and sell it and essentially be left alone to do just that as much as possible. And you can't anymore. And companies are wearing these new roles with incredibly differing levels of comfort, but they can't stop it. And and for markets going forward, whether it's Claudine's concern about when or if or under what circumstances you, do you return to Russia? Or how do you pick your next market? And how do you do that commercially? And again, back to the internal and external factors. How do you satisfy all of these constituencies? And at the same time, try to make something or sell something to as many people as possible for the highest price possible. How do companies 
balance and juggle and live with this now? I think the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict is 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 one situation that that brings to light these issues. But you're right, Chuck. Companies just can't just do that anymore. There are a lot of things happening in laws and regulations around human rights, environmental impact, reporting, due diligence. That mean that throughout their value chain. So not just their supply chain, but also their clients and the impact of their activities to connected to consumers and how consumers interact with them. That's how far it reaches now. So there's no escaping it. There are market leaders that have been doing this for a long time, thinking that way for a long time, applying frameworks, setting themselves targets and objectives and meeting them, measuring their performance improvement over time for a while. I have the good fortune of interacting with companies that are so advanced in thinking about this in some fora that I just feel it's a complete change of tone from the sorts of conversations that, say, heads of compliance were having 10 years ago when I first joined Control Risks, and that's very encouraging. The rest of the world, the rest of the companies in the world are are following suit voluntarily or not, but it's unavoidable now, to some extent, on a spectrum for all companies. But I think that those considerations and the and the question that you asked, Claudine, about going back into Russia are sort of distinct. Because one is just the new way to run your company, the new way that every company needs to be run. And the other is how does that, among a lot of other factors, lead you to make decisions about markets and the relative toxicity of markets? How does it affect your risk appetite? There's so many other factors that sit alongside that lead to those decisions. But I do think, Chuck, what you're pointing to is a, is a fundamental change in how companies make decisions. That is unprecedented. And they're going to be scrutinized over the long term on the basis of the decisions that they've been taken, which I think will be interesting to watch over time because, of course, there will be other geopolitical shocks. There will be other political risk events which raise questions about the character, values, priorities, behaviours of particular governments and countries. You know, Companies will be forced again to assess whether, if and how they're going to take a position on those issues and how they can align the decisions that they take with their sense of purpose or what they're articulating, how they're articulating their purpose and values. And I think Russia-Ukraine has really highlighted that geopolitics is an arena in which they're going to have to do that. Well, Russia-Ukraine, I mentioned earlier, has a high level of public scrutiny that was pressuring companies into making statements or contributing to the pressure for companies to make public statements, taking a stance on a conflict. Some of the laws and regulations that have come out from the EU and now from the SEC mean that companies need to make statements around issues like human rights, issues like the environment. They're already being pursued in court for misstatements. They're make they're being pursued under consumer protection laws already now in court for misrepresentations. Like it or not, that's in motion. When a situation like Russia-Ukraine happens and there's that increase in public statement, increase in scrutiny of public statements, and as I said, these indices that judge companies on what they said and what they did, 
it just opens a Pandora's box of the impact on companies and how careful they need to be about what they do. And let's not forget that if you make a statement and then you don't act on that and you're talking about breaches of laws, that's obviously pursuable in court, depending on the jurisdictions. But also if you're active in a country or a context in which crimes are being committed and you are somehow benefiting from proceeds of crime, then you're also exposed in ways that you may not have thought about. So there's a lot of layers that companies are working through now. I want to make a statement and see if you agree or disagree. Companies that handle these situations with reasonable dexterity will see their world continue to expand. Companies that don't are going to feel cramped and running out of room. Would you agree with that or tell me what you think? I agree. I agree. I think it is an ongoing management issue for companies. Monitoring and managing these issues is just part of business now. It always has been from an operational perspective. And we know that because we work with companies all the time thinking about crossing markets and crossing borders and the implications of that. And this is just another layer to those systems. A lot of what I think companies need to be doing is looking, in fact, at the systems they have in place and how they can factor these questions into those systems. You can create parallel systems and then for a lot of sustainability and ESG, particularly when it comes to climate impact reporting, things that are quite specific like that, you need a parallel system. But many companies have really excellent processes and systems in place, both formal and informal, that can be built upon to consider these factors that already bring in this, the stakeholders they need to into these conversations. But it is an ongoing process when it comes to particularly supply chains and value chains. Maria, you referenced the fact that you've got two different backgrounds. You're a lawyer, you're a consultant, you're probably very popular at dinner parties as a result, but it really is that combination of skills. It's that sort of cross-functionality. It's that holistic approach. Companies have to do that too. You can't make this decision solely in the legal department. You can't make this decision solely in the compliance department. You've got to bring in your ESG teams. You've got to bring in your geopolitics teams. You've got to bring in your economists. That's the way forward, yeah? More than that, even those functions take on a business responsibility and a commercial mindset now in a way that I think many of them have wanted to, some have succeeded. But it's so important and so part of a compliance officer, a head of legal, a head of procurement's role to think about these things and to make really commercially minded decisions that connect to other disciplines in the company, for sure. And by the way, dinner parties, yeah, I have to bring party tricks, for sure. <laughs> this an, is, an extra bottle of wine. An extra bottle of wine is always welcome. Speaking of always being welcome, you are always very welcome on the Global Insight. And a very big thank you for today's appearance and, and for all the insights that you've brought to our Global Outlook. Always a pleasure to converse with you both. Thanks, Maria. That's all for this episode of the Global Insight. Stay tuned with new episodes of the Global Insight every other week by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as Legal and Compliance Insights, 
a monthly podcast that gives you a window onto the legal and compliance issues our experts are facing around the world. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping build secure, compliant, and resilient businesses by visiting controlrisks.com. The Global Insight is produced by Sam Tornio and Vicky Bufton. For me, thanks for listening and bye for now. And goodbye from me.